Romans 4, 4 through 8. And as we read, remember, we're reading God's Word. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's God's word. You may be seated. What makes Christianity different from every other religion, every other system of thought? You ever think about that? Right, many of you would consider yourselves Christians, and you're going to go out into the marketplace today or around families uh, this week, and, and what makes you different? What makes what you believe different than the people who don't believe or who believe something else? What makes Christianity different? Well, there were a number of uh, philosophers and academics and thinkers who got together a number of years ago to, to discuss this question. One of them was C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is a prolific writer and author. And, and they got together and they began to discuss what is it that makes Christianity different. And, and one person said, well, perhaps it's the incarnation, this idea that Jesus Christ was God and became man. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Perhaps the incarnation is what makes Christianity unique and different. Well, as they reasoned that, they thought, you know what, the, the incarnation is significant, it's huge. The idea that God would become man is incredible, but it's not what makes Christianity different from every other religion, because there are some religions that talk about God coming in the form of man and things like that. And so someone else said, well, perhaps it's the resurrection. Maybe that's the thing that makes Christianity different, is the resurrection, where Jesus Christ lived and then died and then lived again, was raised from the dead. That's what we celebrate at Easter. And we know that that's a significant thing. The Scripture tells us that if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christianity's a wash. It doesn't matter. But as they discussed that, they said, you know, there are some tribal places and other religions where they say, you know, someone has come back from the dead. And so, so that's important, but it's not what makes Christianity different. Well, they, began, they came and they were talking and talking, and this whole time C.S. Lewis is fairly quiet. And, and finally, they come around to him and they say, Clive, what do you think? And he says... It's easy. They're thinking, well, then why are we discussing it? And he goes, it's easy. Grace. Grace. That's what makes Christianity different. Every other system of belief is based on works and effort and performance and what can you do to merit God's favor, but not Christianity. Christianity is based on grace. Well, there was another prolific philosopher of our day. Uh, maybe you've heard of him. His name is Bono the front man for you 2 and uh, he, he agrees with Lewis. Here's what he said in an interview some years back. He says, You'll, you see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace, to upend all that as you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. 
I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in deep trouble. Doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am, and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. That's exactly right. What makes Christianity different is grace. And that's the point that the Apostle Paul has been making in this portion of his letter to the Romans. The Apostle Paul, just to remind you, is a man who had experienced radical grace. He was a a Pharisee, somebody who was committed to obeying down to the nittiest, tiniest, grittiest part of the law, even parts that weren't in the law just to make sure he obeyed the law. He was so committed, he was even killing people who were Christians. And, And grace came, love came, and interrupted. And made him a new man. And he saw that he wouldn't be accepted by God on the basis of what he'd done, but on the basis of what Christ had done for him. And so he writes this letter to the Romans talking about grace. He began talking about the bad news, that, that there's sin, and, and, and if it was up to karma, we'd all be in deep trouble. And he talks about all that in, in chapters 1 through 3. And then he gets to the good news. We looked at it in these last few weeks. Look at Romans 3, verse 24. That we are justified by His grace as a gift. That word justified, again, means to be made right with God, to be declared righteous before God. We're we're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we're rescued out of this bondage to sin and out of the punishment of that and into grace. The kind of thesis of this whole section, I think you could say, is in verse 28 of chapter 3. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You can be made right with God by faith apart from works of the law, regardless of what you've done, he says. Then he, that seems sort of too good to be true, doesn't it? I mean, wow, I mean, that, how could that be so? That just doesn't seem to fit because it just feels like the the world operates on this, what goes around comes around thing. And he says, well, listen, this is how it's always been. And so he brings up Abraham as an example. That's what we looked at last week. And he says, it's always been this way. Abraham wasn't made righteous with God because he was better, but because of grace. Verse 3 of chapter 4. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, that's faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness or credited to him. A righteousness that wasn't his, it was belonged to Jesus, was counted to him. And so Paul's going to begin to explore this a little bit more. And so here's what we're going to see today is that Paul describes three differences, three differences between the biblical gospel of grace and everything else. Three differences between the biblical gospel of grace and everything else. There's the difference of righteousness, there's the difference of expectations, and there's the difference of attitude. The difference of righteousness, expectations, and attitude. First, the difference in righteousness. Verses 4 and 5 really describe this difference. Look at verse 4. Paul's going to compare works versus faith by, by grace through faith. Verse 4. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. It's a pretty simple analogy, pretty simple point he makes, isn't it? When you go to your job, and you work, you do something, and then you receive a paycheck, 
you, you don't go, wow, my employer is so gracious. How generous. I, I didn't see it coming. You don't say that. You go, well, yeah, I, I worked. I earned it. Those are my earnings for the year. It's due to me. They, they owe it to me, right? If they didn't pay you, you, you'd go, wait a minute, that's not right. And he's saying that's what works are. Trying to be made right with God is, is working for it. You're earning it. It's, not a, it's no longer a gift at that point. You've, you've earned it. It's money earned. Verse 5, though, says, To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, is credited as righteousness. So, so this is money given. Money earned through your work, through your effort, versus money given. See, and, and this highlights, this begins to highlight the difference in righteousness. See, God has a standard of righteousness if we're going to be accepted by him, if we're going to enter into his presence, if we're going to be forgiven. There's a standard of righteousness. How do you get the righteousness? That's the question. Well, the verse 4 approach is to earn it step by step. Work, 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 work. Maybe you get it. The verse 5 approach is trust Christ, and it's given to you. That's what's going on here. There's a difference in righteousness. Now, this difference, I think you could kind of break down even more. And so I want to break it down into sort of three parts, three ways that people typically think about how, how they're going to be declared righteous. If, if we were to say, uh, okay, you have to be righteous to enter in God's presence, to go to heaven, how's that happen? Typically, people think about it in three ways, even if they don't use these terms. The first way is the idea of inherent righteousness. Inherent righteousness. This is, this is works alone. So inherent righteousness, uh, this would be something you know, commonly held by sort of average folks who don't have religious background, they're irreligious, they're unchurched, whatever, and they would kind of say, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm, I'm born good. I'd, you know, I'd mess up now and then, but I'm fundamentally a good person, and, I'll, and I do good things, and, and it, why should you go to heaven? Well, I've never killed anybody. And I try to do the right things, and I try to help people, and I give the shirt off my back if someone asks for it, and, and I'm, I'm good. There's an inherent goodness. You get that? This is a righteousness that I have on my own because it's inherent in me, based on my works, based on the things that I do. When it's all laid out, the good will outweigh the bad. That's kind of this approach. Now, the second approach is, is more common. That's probably a little bit, the second approach is more what Paul is addressing here in Romans uh, 4 and really this whole book. And this is more common based on how we kind of, things we interact with in our world is the idea of infused righteousness. So inherent righteousness is, it's, it's in me, it's mine, I'm the one who's righteous. In infused righteousness, it's the idea that it's, it's Christ's righteousness, but it is infused to me as I do good things. So there's faith involved in this, okay? So, so inherent righteousness is just works. Infused righteousness is faith plus. Faith and. Okay, so this is a, a very common way that, that people think. It's even a common way that, that we think, as we'll see in a moment. Faith plus works. Yes, of course you have to believe, but you also have to blank, whatever it is. So uh, this is the... This is the kind of official doctrine in the Roman Catholic Church. And I'm not saying that all Roman Catholics necessarily think about it this way, but this is, if you look into the official teaching of the church, this is how it works. Is it's infused righteousness. It's grace through all that I can do. That's how they might talk about it. 
grace through all that I can do. So, so this is why sacraments are, are huge in the Catholic faith. And those of you who grew up in that, in that uh, tradition, you understand what a big deal this is. Is, is. It's Christ's righteousness, but it's infused into you as you take the steps of obedience, as you're baptized, as you're confirmed. As you uh, do penance and do confession, this is why the Eucharist is a big deal, is, and it's why it's, it's important that, that it's not just a symbol of what Christ has done, but that it's actually Christ himself, because you need that righteousness of him infused into you. So week by week, you've got to take the Eucharist. It's, it's Christ's righteousness itself is what's at stake, and so you've got to keep doing it. And so that's sort of a, a Roman Catholic approach, grace through all you can do. Then there's an LDS approach, a Mormon approach, and, and this is something, I mean, all of us have Catholic and have Mormon friends and people we love, and, and this is a common sort of way that, that it might be talked about in, in, in that tradition, is grace after all that I can do. Grace after all that I can do. As I've just talked with Mormons and sort of researched stuff, I don't see a lot of discussion really about righteousness and is it infused or imputed or whatever that isn't much of the discussion but practically how you see it flesh out is this it's faith plus works grace after all that i can do here's what a couple of the lds scriptures say in the book of mormon uh, the book of moroni uh, chapter 10 verse 32 says yea come unto christ and be perfected in him and deny yourselves of all ungodliness and if get it that's a key word if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then his grace is sufficient for you, that by his grace ye may be perfect in Christ. Now, do you get that? That's faith plus. That's if, if you deny yourselves of all ungodliness. That's a big if. And if you love God with all your might and your mind and your strength, right? Love God with everything, If you do that, then there's grace. Faith plus. Here's what it says in 2 Nephi 25. It says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children, and also our brethren, to believe in Christ. Oh, that sounds good. That's faith, right? And to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. So you get it again. It's grace Plus, faith plus. Uh, here's what the New Era magazine, this is an official church magazine, uh, writes in an article related to this. It says, if your friends ask, does your church believe you are saved by grace or works? You could say, we believe that we are saved by grace after all we can do. We don't earn salvation. Heavenly Father and the Savior will bless us with eternal life through their grace if we do our part. See the conditional part of that? They have asked us to have faith in Jesus Christ, repent throughout our lives, and be baptized, and receive other ordinances, and faithfully endure to the end. If we do that, we are promised eternal life through the grace of God. So I hope you see. I, I'm not trying to take anything out of context. or do, I mean, this is, this is how, I mean, if you talk to a Mormon about grace, they'll say, yeah, you get grace after all that we can do. So you have in, inherent You have infused, faith plus, and then you have imputed. That's what Paul's talking about here in this particular chapter. This is what the Apostle Paul says. This is the biblical gospel based on Romans is imputed righteousness. It's just faith. Not faith and, just faith. So this is, you know, if the Catholic approach is grace through all you can do, 
And the LDS approach is grace after all you can do. The biblical approach is grace apart from what you do. It's faith apart from works of the law. That's what he says in chapter 3, verse 28. It's, it's not you earning something. You don't, you don't earn anything. This is a gift, is what he's saying. Right? Do you see this in verse 5? And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, right? That's faith, belief, faith, trust in him who justifies the ungodly. Right? So, so God makes, who does God make right with him? Those who have worked really hard and they've cleaned up their act and after all they can do, God fills in the gap. Is that how it, what it says? No, it says God justifies the ungodly. While we were still sinners, he'll say in chapter 5, Christ died for us. Grace apart from all that you can do. There's a difference in righteousness. Between biblical Christianity, the gospel of grace, and everything else. So now why do I bring this up? I put a chart like this. Why even mention religions, other faiths by name? Am I trying to pick on people? No. Part of my motive is I know some of you come from some of those backgrounds, and you're trying to kind of, you're going, I sense there's a difference. I know there's a difference, but I can't quite tell what it is. And so I'm trying to give you some language to help you understand what it is. So that's part of my motive. The other part of my motive, and this is big, is that many of you who would say, you believe in infused righteousness. You would pass the justification by faith apart from works test. Still live practically like a Mormon. Many Christians are practical Mormons. And so that, that Mormon approach is not like, wow, that's worse than anything one, anyone else does. No, that's what everyone does. That's how most people think about it. It's grace after all you can do. I'm going to try my best. I've got to do my best, and maybe I'll keep my fingers crossed. God will give me grace. But really, deep down, it's up to me to get godly, not up to the one who justifies the ungodly. Do you see that? And so, so many Christians are still stuck in this performance trap where after they have a really great day or a really great week, wow, they're happy and they're encouraged and they're confident, and after they blow it and they yell at their kids and they get angry and they, you know, kind of fudge the truth to a customer, they go, oh, I don't know, I better do some good, I better pay my penance, I better, right? That's how so many Christians who say it's by faith, not works, that's how we live. And so I want to invite us to fully embrace the truth of this difference of righteousness. So that's the first difference. Second difference is a difference in expectations. The biblical gospel produces a difference in expectations in terms of how you live. And I want to hone in on one particular word here in verse 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. The word I want to focus on there is the word due. It's a word that means literally debt or obligation. So the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his obligation, as his debt. So, so this is the idea that if you're, if you're doing it by works, then God owes you. God is in your debt. 
God is obligated to give you what you want. You're a taxpayer. You've paid your dues. You deserve a good life. And so there's a difference in expectations that comes when you have that perspective. When you have that perspective that, that, that it's by works and, and God will be impressed if I do the right thing and God will be disappointed if I don't and it's faith plus, if you come from that perspective, you'll expect different things in life. And so something bad will happen to you and th- this, this way of thinking will get revealed one of two ways. The first way it will get revealed is you'll get mad at God. God how could you let this happen to me? God, I've, I've served you. And I've prayed to you. And I've volunteered. Do you know how many diapers I've changed in that nursery, God? And, and God, I'm doing my best. And how could you let me lose my job? How could you let this diagnosis come? How could you let my husband treat me this way? God, you owe me. What? What that reveals is a works mentality. Faith plus. So, so if you get really mad at God when things go wrong, it reveals that. The other thing is, is when you get really mad at yourself. You go, oh, these things are bad and, and I knew it. I should have given more. I should have served more. I should have read my Bible more. God's paying me back. Why do you think that? Because you think it's based on your dues, what you've paid, what you've earned. It's, it's, it's practical Mormonism. It's, it's a works thing. And, and it reveals this expectation that God owes you something. Some of you know, one of my favorite preachers to listen to is a guy based out of New York City named Tim Keller. And uh, I've just been served and blessed by him in so many ways. And he tells a story about a young woman in his church who was not yet a Christian, but she was hearing the difference in righteousness and seeing how this led to a difference in expectation. And she came to him once after a service, and she said, now, here's the thing that scares me about becoming a Christian. See, if I believed it was by works, then God owes me something, and that's not so scary because I'm still kind of in control. But if I trust God by faith, and I'm saved by sheer grace, then there's no limit to what God could ask of me. And that's scary. You know what she understood? She understood this. For the person that works, God owes me. God, you better come through. God, you better give it to me like I like it. But, but to those of us who know it's by grace through faith, we go, God, anything I have is better than I deserve. And God, yes, this hurts. But, but I'm not going to get mad at you because you don't owe me anything. I'm not going to get mad at me because I'm saved by sheer grace. I'm just going to trust you that you have good and wise plans through this. It's a difference in expectations. Do you expect that God owes you? Faith plus. It's practical Mormonism. I'm not, by the way, saying in that that that's how all Mormons think or they all think that God owes them that way. I'm not, I'm not saying they actually follow that logic out, but do you, do you get what I'm saying? That's, it's not, God doesn't owe you. It's not his debt that he's in. Here's the third difference that Paul highlights here is the difference in attitude. The difference in attitude. See, if you understand this difference in righteousness, 
and it changes your expectations about things, it leads to a difference in attitude. And Paul describes this. The first attitude is an attitude of of faith, an attitude of dependence, dependence versus self-sufficiency, right? That's what he's saying here in verse 5. And to the one who does not work, the one who isn't counting on his works, who's not being self-sufficient, but who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, who's dependent on God, his faith is counted as righteousness. It's an attitude of dependence versus an attitude of self-sufficiency. It brings to mind one of my favorite stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18. He talks about two men going to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. This was the righteous of the righteous, always did the right stuff. The other was a tax collector. And if you don't like IRS agents in your life, they really didn't like these tax collectors because these people had sold out to the Roman government and were extorting their own people. And so a, a righteous of righteous, Billy Graham guy goes to the temple to pray. He's done everything right. And a, and a tax collector, scum of the earth, goes to the temple to pray. And the first one, the Pharisee, prays like this. God, thank you that I am not like other men. I give, I fast, I pray I do it right. God, thank you that I'm not like other people, not even like that tax collector. The scripture actually says that he was praying to himself. Just congratulating himself. This attitude of self-sufficiency. Because he thought, it's by works, it's by what I've done, I've earned it. And the other, the tax collector, it says, stood far off. And he wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast. And he said, God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said that that man, the tax collector, went home justified rather than the other. It's a difference in attitude. Pharisee, self-sufficient. I got it. It's up to me. The one by faith goes, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Maybe you've wondered, why is it that faith is the thing that's required? Theologian Wayne Grudem asked this question. I think it's a really kind of interesting thought he has on this. Here's what he says. But we may ask why God chose faith to be the attitude of heart by which we would obtain justification. Why could God not have decided to give justification to all those who sincerely show love or who show joy or contentment or humility or wisdom? Do you get what he's saying? By faith, you're counted righteous. Why isn't by joy you're counted righteous? By wisdom, you're counted righteous. Why? He says, why did God choose faith as the means by which we receive justification? It is apparently because faith is the one attitude of heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. Right? All faith does is say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus is righteous, not me. So the difference in attitude is a difference of dependence versus self-sufficiency. It's also a difference between an attitude of gratitude and one of entitlement. I love when you uh, listen to the Dave Ramsey show, if you've ever heard that, and uh, people will call in and they'll say, Dave, how you doing? What does he always say? Better than I deserve, right? And I don't know, I mean, he says it so often, I don't know if he actually even really means it. You know, I assume he does, but, but I love that answer. How are you doing? Better than I deserve. That's someone 
That, that statement gets the difference. It's how, I've got an attitude of gratitude. I, God doesn't owe me anything. If I got what I deserved, it would be punishment in hell. So I'm doing better than I deserve. This is what Paul begins to describe here in verses 6 through 8. In verses 6 through 8, he says, listen, this is how David responded when he experienced this amazing kind of grace, this righteousness counted to him apart from his works. Look at verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes from Psalm 32. Now listen, this is key. King David was described as a man after God's own heart. King David wrote many of the psalms that you read. And King David was an epic failure. Scandal of scandals. The headline would have read, David commits adultery with Bathsheba, kills her husband. That's what happened. And then here's, and there's two places David talks about this, about what happened afterwards. One is Psalm 51, the other is Psalm 32. That's what he's quoting here in verses 7 and 8. Here's what David says, verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Do you see the difference in attitude? Blessed, this word means happy, joyful. Wow, God. Blessed is the person whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Did David know about lawless deeds? Blessed is the man whose sin is covered. David tried to cover his tracks, but he couldn't. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. (laughs) If you've been forgiven this way, there's a whole different kind of attitude. It's an attitude of gratitude, not entitlement. Right? You're not going, well, God, you owe me. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I deserve good things. No, you're going, wow, it's better than I deserve. I'm blessed. God, thank you. I love how David finishes this psalm. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message translates or paraphrases the last verse of this Psalm 32 this way. Celebrate God. Sing together, everyone, all you honest hearts. Raise the roof. Isn't that great? Like, this is one of the reasons why when we gather together, oftentimes we, we celebrate communion and we sing after the sermon. Because the sermon is designed to remind you of this difference in righteousness that leads to a difference in attitude. And so instead of being ho-hum and, well, I guess, and yeah, I mean, I have been good this week. God owes me. Instead of that, it's, it's, it's this moment of going, God, wow, thank you. Thank you. Raise the roof with gratitude. Here's the third difference in attitude is an attitude of confidence versus one of insecurity. Confidence versus insecurity. If you're Having to perform, you always question, have I done enough? And if you really blow it, then you go, did I lose some? Now i got to get it back. Do I have enough? And am I sure? And if I died right now, 
can I really know if I'd be forgiven? Have I done enough? I don't know. There's an insecurity that comes with that versus a confidence that comes from knowing you're accepted. When I was in college, I went to the University of Illinois and played baseball there. And uh, my four seasons there followed a fairly typical pattern. I would typically start off the season uh, pretty hot as a hitter and, uh, and start, off, uh, start off well. And then I'd go into a couple-week slump. And my first couple years at, at Illinois, after that slump, where I was a DH and a first baseman uh, those two years, and, and I would enter that slump and then get benched for a little while. I eventually would get back in the lineup, but, but I would lose my job. I'd lose my position because I, I didn't perform. Well, my junior year comes, and I'm now playing third base, and, uh, and, and I start off the year good. All right, it's going well, and then here comes the slump. And I'm slumping for a couple weeks. And what am I thinking? I'm going to lose my job. So I'm working, and I'm worrying, and I'm fretting, and I'm all kinds of insecure. And then I get a call from Coach Jones, my coach. He was a 60-something-year-old guy with kind of a, kind of a squeaky voice. And he's an old school guy, and so he didn't call you in his office for much. And so he calls me in, and I'm thinking, oh, no, what does this mean? And he calls me in, and I sit down. And he says, Luke, I know you're going through a rough time right now, but I want you to know that no matter what, you're our third baseman. Whew. You know how that felt? No more insecurity. I, mean, I, I still worked hard after that, but I, but I didn't work because I had something to prove. I worked because I, I had the confidence to know that, that no matter what, I was the third baseman. You know what? God is calling us into his office here, and he's saying, sit down. And some of us that have this faith plus mentality are like, oh no, what's he calling me for? And then we sit down, and God says, no matter what, I accept you. So, so quit trying to prove it. Quit worrying so much when you blow it. It doesn't surprise God. And you're saved by sheer grace. So what would happen if this difference became real to us? Is it becoming more and more real? I hope that as we study this book that, that many of us would move from going, yeah, I, I, I believe, I ascribe to to righteousness by faith, but, but to actually believe it, to live that way, to practically in our lives go, God, I'm living with the confidence and the joy and the gratitude that I am accepted because of Christ. Can you imagine the difference that would make in your family and in your attitude? Can you imagine how different of a person you'd be in a year or in five years if this truth got real in your heart? There's a huge difference between biblical Christianity and everything else. There's a difference in righteousness. You don't have to earn it. There's a difference in expectation. God doesn't owe you anything. And there's a difference in attitude. You can be joyful and thankful and confident. Let's pray. Father, uh, we do depend on you. Right now, in this moment, for everything. So God, forgive us for the times when we're self-sufficient, 
Forgive us for the times when we blow it and we think we've got to earn it back. God, allow us to walk in the joy and the gratitude and the dependence and the freedom of the gospel. Let it wash over us in a fresh way. God, let us believe it in the heart and respond to it. God, may we raise the roof in this place with joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.